APU. American Public University is proud to present Leading Forward. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the podcast today. I have the honor of interviewing a wonderful gentleman by the name of Joe Matthews. Joe Matthews was the very first diversity officer for Gentex, and he started this in 2018. And since 2018, he has won numerous awards on his diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives. And in 2022, he has been promoted to the vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so with that, I would love to introduce Joe Matthews. Joe Matthews, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you doing, Akina? Fabulous. And I know today we're going to be talking about an insider's view into corporate DEI. Can you tell us why that is important to you? It really starts from the beginning. If you look at terms of what's going on in my family history, my grandparents are educators. My grandfather was a principal of all-black high school in Cleveland, Texas. My grandmother was on a staff. And really, when the schools got integrated, only my grandfather and grandmother had jobs in the integrated school system. And that moved them from Cleveland, Texas to Gary, Indiana. And with that being said, that's the beginning of it. My dad also did a lot of work. Uh, he has a degree in biology, but he also worked a lot with Doc Sullivan, Reverend Dr. Leon H. Sullivan, who is the founder, originator of the OIC, Opportunities Industrialization Center. So again, there's a lot of things I've learned on my own DEI journey, how important diversity and inclusion is for all people. So let's go back to 2018 when you became the first diversity officer for Gentex. And I assume that you had to build this from the ground up. Can you take us on that journey? For sure. So one of the first things we really try to focus on as a company is what is our ideology? Really, the way we view diversity and inclusion at Gentex Corporation is one of those ones where we want to make sure people can do diversity and inclusion work wherever they exist, be it they have a title or not, if they're an individual contributor or a VP. And so the goal is to create ideology where everybody can rally around so that everybody knew what to do to be able to benefit the community, be it the workforce, the workplace, and the marketplace, as well as the suppliers. We basically look at the work that's being done in five different sectors. So when you were on this journey, can you tell us some of the things that you notice in corporate that most people don't think about as far as diversity, equity, and inclusion? I think really you just, you have to look at one, getting the data and understanding what the demographics are for your organization. Also getting an idea of what the employees feel about their workplace and workforce. And then using those as data inputs to be able to figure out what is this cohesive strategy to go forward. Again, a lot of the insights I have are based because I have an engineering degree. I have a degree in electrical engineering with a minor in Russian. I also has a couple of master's degrees as well from Cornell University. My undergraduate was Rose Holman. And so I will tell you, having a data-based approach in terms of how you view diversity and inclusion is very important. And that's one of the things that we try to incorporate into our strategies there. We have a DI advisory board at the company. And one of our DI advisory board members, uh, his name is Rob Wilson. Rob was Nissan America's first director of diversity and inclusion. And Rob would tell you, it's like, when you do diversity and inclusion work, there's some people think you're doing too much and some people think you're not doing it enough. So really you have to be consistent with the pace that your company can digest it without burping it up. Mm, 
<laughs> I love that analogy. I love that very much. So can you give us an example of a pacing that is easy to digest? I would say first, it starts off with just understanding what the ideology is and then communication. Really, the first thing we did is really focus a year on communication in terms of what our approach was for Dorstick inclusion. Beyond that, we also launched two business resource groups. Again, you can have multiple business resource groups. We wanted to start with the ones that we knew would be impactful for us and where we were. So we have women at Gentex, which is basic for women and their allies, as well as Gentex vets, which is for veterans. And then we started with those two things. We also established a process to start more business resource groups. However, it's one of those things where we're going to use the data because those are really employee-driven, but also with executive sponsorship at the C-suite level as well. So those are two critical things to have in place to make sure you have sustainability of what you're trying to do. Again, employee-driven, but also executive sponsorship BRGs. So that's just the example of some of the things we started small. It started at a delivery pace. Uh, last year in 2021, we actually launched um, Franklin Covey and Conscious Bias workshops across the the, the um, company in terms of hiring managers in West Michigan. And it was something where, again, we went to a pilot session, we went to a small focus groups, and we started very intentionally. You know, again, it was something where all the, the, the CEOs, direct reports, kind of the target at which hiring managers want to go through the process. And now in year two, we're going to focus additional training on things that can help unleash the potential of the individual. I love this. And so some of the listeners will be people that are ready to branch into the DEI space. So what kind of tips would you give to them to make the road a little easier? Again, it goes back to being a crawl, walk, run model. Started a pacing that's delivered for you that that's consistent with your people that you have. Again, you can be in a very homogeneous community and you can still find opportunities to be engaged in diversity and inclusion. It might be more from a class perspective, might be from a gender perspective. It might not just be ethnicity and race. Find those things that impact for you and your community where you exist, but also for your workforce as well. And those are things that we do. For instance, one of the things that the company launched last year was a LEP, Limited English Proficiency Lines. The second language spoken in Ottawa County is Spanish. And so we actually launched, we call it LEP Lines, Limited English Proficiency Lines for our Spanish-speaking population, where, again, you don't have to have English as your first language and still be able to work for us. And that's gone from one shift on one line to multiple shifts across multiple lines, across multiple plants soon. I think in total now, we're over almost 82 to 85 individuals are involved in this particular process. It's a very deliberate effort that has a steering committee, that has people who actually identify what Spanish is their first language, although they're now quite fluent in English. And basically, it was very much engaged with the hourly workforce, as well as having bilingual group leaders, as well as uh, departmental managers to make sure they're fully integrated into the company. And now there's some of those people that got promoted to other jobs inside a company where Spanish is not the prerequisite at all. So Gentex has operationalized what the impact is from DEI perspective. Okay. So as a diversity officer, what made it so important to have that advisory board? For me, the DEI Advisory Board provides a great perspective. Our goal for them is understanding where we are in West Michigan, what the culture of West Michigan is, but also being able to kind of give us recommendations on how we become world-class. And so they're able to speak insights that maybe I don't have to our executive leadership team. Again, our DEI Advisory Board consists of our CEO, 
our CTO and VP of engineering and our VP of operations. So if you get exclusion of the CEO, the VP of operations and our, our VP engineering slash CTO, they have the majority of the resources in the organization. So it's important to make sure they had people that knew they had trust and confidence in the people we have on DI advisory board that understood what world-class diversity inclusion looks like, but also understand how we are, where we are, and be able to provide great insight and recommendations for us to move forward. In addition to those members, we also have our VP of legal on the DEI advisory board, a head HR, our executive sponsors are two business resource groups. And then again, we had two external DEI advisory board members, along with myself. Wonderful. And so I love the fact that you went the inclusive route. You know, a lot of times we have conversations, we've had a podcast before speaking on diversity officer versus task force, but it sounds like your model includes both. You have the task force as well as the officer. Can you tell us some of the benefits of including both? I, I think, again, this just provides pervasiveness into an organization. Again, this is not a Joe Matthews initiative. This is not a CEO initiative. The goal, and this is something I learned not too long ago, the goal is to make sure you have a movement and not a moment. And the way you do that is you make sure you include it all. I mean, you include the white female just as well as the Hispanic uh, or Latinx uh, male as well. Again, there's a lot of different ways you can identify people. So we want to make sure we have a cross-spectrum of people, not only salary-wise, but also from an hourly perspective. And that's where we still have work to do. What was some of the things you have learned from having both the officer and the advisory board that, you know, was kind of shocking to you? Your goal is to get things done. However, you have to be very deliberate in that process. And so with that being said, there's a, oftentimes we as a DEI council, which is another part of our governance model, there's things like, okay, we need to do this. And we had to say, okay, let's back up. Are we ready for this as an organization? Will the organization support it? Will it have long legs? If you and I change chairs, that movement still exists. And that's one of the things that you have to be very intentional about what you introduce to organization. And sometimes there's there's false starts. We have a lot of great ideals that sometimes we put on the back burner because unfortunately we might not quite be ready. So the goal that we have is whatever we execute, we want to do it excellence. It's not perfection. So we want to start small and then be able to kind of experiment and do better as we go forward in terms of future iterations. Thank you so much for that. I love that. And so now I think it's time for us to take a short break and we'll be right back. At American Public University, we believe that everyone should have access to a great education. It's not a privilege reserved for the few. And we believe higher education must come with lower tuition. Because when more doors open, more lives change. American Public University. Within reach, without limits. Online classes start every month. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. Greetings, everyone. We are back with our guest, Joe Matthews, Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Gentex. And we are speaking on an insider's view into corporate DEI. So, can you tell us what are some of the things you have seen missing in the corporate space as far as diversity, equity, and inclusion? I think probably the thing that I see that we need to continue to be mindful of is intentionality. Again, I would tell you, everybody has friends. And so typically you want to help your friends. 
But unfortunately, if you grew up in an environment where it's very homogeneous from a particular aspect of identity, your friends will get the opportunities versus people who could be better suited for the roles that exist in the company. So you have to be very intentional about how you bring people to an organization as well as how you support them in an organization. Because sometimes people take for granted, it's like, yeah, I expect you to understand this and I expect you to do this, but if nobody's really been taught, nobody's really understand that because they haven't had that background, then they won't know. Again, when I think of myself in terms of corporate America, my family, my mom is a nurse. Her family comes from farmers. My dad's family came from educators. I'm the first person in my family who's had a career in corporate for the last 30 years. So you really had to build that network to understand, okay, what is right, what is normal, what is not normal. And if you're a first-generation person, however you identify yourself, or a person of color, you've never been in a corporate environment, in general, you have to understand, okay, how do I navigate where I find myself to make sure I make a positive impact. And sometimes you have to find those allies who might not be on your same peer group level, but also within organization are able to speak that truth in terms of their experiences as well, be inside or outside a company. And that's kind of helped me as well. You know, one of the people I follow is Brene Brown in terms of her impact. And she has something called an SFD. I'm not going to say the word per se, but she has an FFD. And sometimes things happen. It's like, man, what is that? And that's your first reaction. And sometimes you need to have friends that provide that perspective. It's like, you know, I, that's happened to me. You know, I'm a white guy. That's happened to me, too. And I'm like, oh. It's not just something that has happened to me as a black man in corporate America. It's happened to you as well. You feel the same impact of that. So those are things that help provide perspective, particularly when you start going down things where, where the heart meets the head, so to speak, in terms of diversity inclusion. You always wonder how those things are going to be. I love that. So if you were to tell someone who is new into the diversity, equity, and inclusion space who is starting out, getting ready to start their team, start their network, what are some must-haves? So again, the first have is be widely read. Soak up everything you can from diversity inclusion perspective. When my supervisor approached me, the CEO, he was in his first year of tenure, he said, Joe, I have this idea. I really want to create a different trajectory for us as a company. What do you think about this? And I was pretty excited about the opportunity because it was something new and different for me from what I did previously. Although I still enjoyed my previous role as well, which was the VP of purchasing. But with that being said, I basically started listening to people, you know, reading different books. And then one of the key books that we read to help kind of start our ideology perspective was The Starfish and the Spider. It's a book that was published in 2005, 2006. And it really talked about how if you have the right ideology, you can really replicate and flourish. So again, kind of the premise is if you crush the head of a spider, the spider dies. If you cut the starfish in half, it replicates. So again, our goal was to create the ideology that allow people to flourish, where that allow us to kind of maintain moving forward in terms of our DEI approach. Again, it took about a year to be from concept to execution, to get that ratified by the overall the CEO, the C-suite staff. But once that happened, that was a provider rallying cry based on the vision where we have for diversity inclusion. So again, we have a vision for DEI. We have basically what our mission is in terms of our DEI values and action statement. And then we also have things we stand for as a DEI council as well. Again, that kind of put the framework around it. And now it's just a matter of activating those things, becoming more intentional of what we do in terms of how we impact our workforce, our workplace. So workforce speaks to kind of the diversity of your work environment. 
It speaks to inclusiveness, where you are. It could speak to facilities in terms of how those are accessible for all. And then also how we impact the community. Again, one of the things we talk about is how do we impact the community where people work, live, serve, and play. So we look at things from a kindergarten, elementary, to a high school perspective, community colleges, universities. How do we have our talent acquisition process? What are we doing now in terms of also looking at how people progress through the organization in terms of individual contributors, managers, directors, plus? Those are all things that we're continuing to try to activate to kind of make sure we, we improve on where we are. Again, you start small, start intentional, identify those things that you can do and those things that you might have to wait for a little bit longer and then do the crawl, walk, run model. Again, my goal is always trying to do something where you start off, like maybe just start with one school in one district that you know your people live or you know that has a great need that's really right close to the business that you have. Because that's a way that the students can connect with a manufacturing enterprise, but also not only impacts the students, but also impacts their families as well. You know, one of the things we actually started off last year is we actually had a STEM night for elementary school that has a pretty diverse population. And now with that partnership, we're going to do it again this year. So we're starting the planning phase for that. But it exposes the students to chemistry, it exposes the students to ozobots, which are like robotics, as well as us as a company. So again, something that was intentional, we worked directly with the school staff on that. And then it's going to build out from there. You mentioned that it wasn't automatic. You said it took at least a year for you to see some real change. And so would you say some good advice is not to be worried about it not happening instantaneously? And what would you say to some people that are going through those changes right now? I, I would say just be persistent, know your why. And that goes back to what the vision you have from DEI perspective as well as your mission. And I think those are really important things. And you don't have to have that perfect, so even for us, it's gone through iterations. I mean, I would take some of the things we had and basically do a process called Nimawashi, which is kind of we were just gathering opinions internally to the various stakeholders, be it internally, externally, to see what people thought about it. Because again, the goal was incorporate the ideals that they had in terms of what they saw. And then that way, when they saw the finished product, they could see that part of themselves, their ideal base inside of what was there. So it helps to engineer the buy-in. And again, it's one of those things where I don't have all the answers. I, I'm, not try, I'm not trying to be the smartest person in the room, but the goal is to make sure we get everybody's ideas so they can be heard. I got advice from somebody who's now a VP of diversity and inclusion for one of our local health systems. And she said, you want to make sure everybody can see themselves in the data because if people can't see themselves in the data, you risk backlash from a particular people group. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you don't see yourselves in the, reflecting the data, you're going to push back on it because what's in it for me? And again, that's just a human tendency to be able to do that. So again, you want to show how this impacts people around the board. And once you're able to do that, it helps to generate the buy-in for other things you might try to do that could be a little bit more progressive or aggressive, depending on what the situation may call for. And so I know that you've been doing this since 2018, and you have had many initiatives along the way. I would love to hear about your proudest moment as the DEI officer and then the impact of it. The proudest move is one that actually was not directly involved in because we set the ideology, and that's unlimited English proficiency lines. We know that's had an impact because now there's a lot of local organizations that are trying to pattern our success off of what happened there. This is for people who, historically, English was a barrier for them working for us. Because again, if you didn't speak English, you couldn't work in our manufacturing facility. 
Now you don't have to speak English. You can work for us. And not only does that impact the worker, but it actually impacts the family, impacts the whole ecosystem around that family. And that's got a ripple effect because now we have other companies in the area who are trying to pattern off our success. So that's raising a whole demographic of people whose English might not be their first language. They might even be proficient and impacts their financially. Because again, we pay benefits day one in terms of medical benefits. We also, as a company, we're probably one in a few in the United States that offers stock option benefits for people as well, even though they're hourly employees. Are we perfect? No. Do we have opportunity for improvement? Yes. But I think that's one of those things that is game changing because it's something where the ideology was set up to allow this to flourish, the CEO support it, and then now it's got it's got its own legs on its own. Because again, as a diversity officer, you're just trying to create the environment where you can allow people to be able to be themselves and execute the way they need to on a path towards excellence. That is a powerful impact indeed. And I love your humbleness, but of course, if you weren't at the helm, this may or may not have happened. So kudos to you for that. That was a major, major impact. And so as we get ready to close, I would love for you to just take a moment and give our current and future DEI officers a couple of nuggets. So I would tell you diversity and inclusion work does have a impact on you. And what I mean by that is like you do it out of passion historically. And what that means is that you're trying to basically live, leave a legacy. You're trying to set the foundation up where people can go beyond you. Again, you also have to be mindful of your own mental health as well. And so what I mean by that is that it's, it's very trying. I mean, because you're fighting against something in some cases could be institutionalized. So you have to kind of keep a very good continence about you, a very positive orientation, knowing that in some cases, you're not going to be able to make as much progress as you want because the organization's not quite ready. Again, it's like tilling the ground. You can have a lot of great ideals, but just realize you got to go at the pace where organization can digest it. I mean, I or the DI Council has had a lot of great ideals, and sometimes they come to fruition, sometimes they don't. And those ideas don't come to fruition, we just put it on the back burner, realize, okay, this is not the right time for it. And then you kind of recircle that every year to two to say, okay, is this the right opportunity to be able to do it? And you have faith in that, knowing that there's a process, uh, particularly if your organization supports it, and that really starts from the, the C-suite. Again, you can it can be a bottoms-up approach, which is great. However, that won't allow you to have all the resources you need. It could be a top-down approach as well, which is great. That means you might have the financial resources, but you have that organization to buy in because the middle management is really where things are critical. So I would tell you, those are all items that are really important for us to be able to kind of make sure you have the longevity. And then also just realize that, you know, the competition is not somebody else. The competition is internally to your company. And what I mean by that is that you got to go to a pace where organization can really move forward. Don't be afraid to ask for questions and ask for help. Again, like supply diversity, diversity inclusion for companies is something where if even one company gets better, we all get better by making the impact of where our communities are and where our people work. Well, thank you so much, Joe Matthews, for coming and being with us today. This was super, super exciting, and I have learned so much. And to the audience, remember the people need to see themselves in the data, as Joe mentioned. They need to see themselves in the data, and then they will know that you see them. So thank you, everyone. Be safe and be well. 
For more information about our university, visit us at studyatapu.com. APU, American Public University.